This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Hope you guys had a great holiday. And now for today's Monday Mindful Minute, I'm going to jump in and talk about distress tolerance skills. Distress tolerance is a module in DBT, which is called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. DBT is one of the treatments that we can consider empirically supported for BPD um, and also for lots of other disorders at this point. So, you know, it can be really a great tool. And today I wanted to go over distress tolerance in the way that it's described in the treatment and then some of my interpretation to help you kind of along the way. I do want to remind everybody that I am starting a group. It begins on Friday, December 1st. It's a mindset coaching group and we'll be working on all of these skills over a six-week time period. So feel free to jump on over to our website www.skeetersstrength.com. Click on support groups and you can register all the way up until Friday morning there. All right. So distress tolerance skills have two um, purposes, let's say. The first is that they're supposed to be used for tolerating and surviving what we would consider a crisis. So a really intense, emotionally dysregulated moment. And they are also used for accepting life as it is in the moment. So these are the skills that help people get through life when they can't make changes for the better in their situation and when they can't sort out their feelings for whatever reason well enough to make changes in how they feel. So basically, the skills are ways of surviving and doing well in pretty terrible situations without resorting to behaviors that might make the situation worse. Everyone has to tolerate some amount of pain and distress in life. We have to remember that we are sensitive. And so as sensitive folk, it often seems like we're the only people out there who struggle with pain and distress. But the reality is that life is simply not pain-free. Always trying to avoid pain leads to more problems than it solves. Do you have an example of this in your own life? Now would be a good time to pause this episode and jot down some times where maybe you've tried to avoid emotion or avoid pain in hopes that you can move past it or it would kind of go away. When you pop back on, you can look at, we can look at post-traumatic stress disorder as an example so of, of this avoidance and how it leads to more problems than it solves. So let's, let's look at this. Post-traumatic stress disorder is primarily a result of trying to avoid all contact with any environmental or internal clues, external or internal cues that cause any kind of discomfort. So we look at 
pathological grieving, which is grieving that never, never ends, that's also a result of the same avoidance. So here are two situations where avoidance can be, it can end in a diagnosis of PTSD or a diagnosis of grieving that never ends. When we avoid all the cues that are associated with pain, it ensures that the pain will continue. The more people attempt to avoid and shut emotional pain off and physical pain, the more it comes back to haunt them. When we try to suppress emotional pain or avoid contact with pain-related cues, it just leads to more ruminating and brooding about the event, and trying to get rid of those painful thoughts actually creates more painful thoughts, right? Which is kind of a paradox. For example, one of the most successful and effective programs for helping people with chronic physical pain is based almost entirely on the practice of mindfulness. And if you want to check out the book for this, it's called Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn. Experiencing, tolerating, and accepting emotional pain are the ways to reducing pain. I'm going to say that one more time. Experiencing, tolerating, and accepting emotional pain are the ways to reducing pain. I know I often talk about emotion regulation in terms of having an itch, a bubble, and a burst. And I say that we go throughout our day avoiding the things that make us uncomfortable. And when you do that, that only leads to an episode because the more we put, up, put off emotional pain, emotional discomfort, physical pain, physical discomfort, the more it comes back to haunt us. But there are times, this is a question you have, I just want you to know that there are times that, you know, you could distract yourself from the pain. Painful situations cannot always be immediately processed, right? So there's a time to avoid, there's a time to distract, there's a time to process because sometimes it's not an appropriate time to work on painful emotions or situations. If you're at work, at school, or at a meeting, you might feel emotional pain, be intensely upset, feel isolated or alienated. However, unfortunately, those are the times where you might have to simply tolerate the feelings. So distress tolerance is not about working things out or changing things. It's about acceptance and tolerance. Accepting that you have intense emotions, accepting that no one is going to have a pain-free life, and that avoiding pain leads to more problems than it solves, and learning how to tolerate dis the discomfort of intense emotions. So let's, let's talk about this for a minute. What are some times that you have intense emotional pain, but it's not appropriate time to work on changing the source of pain? And so one of the things or, or examples that comes up for me, and you can feel free to pause the podcast at this point and write down your own examples, but one of the, the common things that people talk to me about is if they're at work. What do I do when I'm at work and I have an intense, painful situation? How do I regulate there? And one of my biggest concerns for someone who has that struggle is how to get them to learn how to contain their emotions so that they can process it another time. So what I will say is go to the bathroom, splash some cold water on your face. If you can carry an ice pack with you or have an ice pack in your lunch kit, you can always use a tip skill, which I'll talk more about later, and put that, putting that over your temple, your forehead, to, you know, to 
kind of decrease your emotions. But that's a, an example of a time where distraction is going to win over processing because there's it's just not the time or the place. Or if you're at school, let's say, if you're younger listening and you're in high school and you're in the middle of a test or you just found out some really distressing news, that would be a time where distraction would be and containment would be best used in terms of skills. And so what skill or the skill, excuse me, that I want to go over today is the tip skill. I just want to get us kind of setting the stage up for what else is in this module, even though we're not going to go over it today in this Monday Mindful Minute. Monday Mindset Minute. Oh my goodness, it's my own slogan and I cannot say it correctly. Oh, that's silly. Okay, so when we look at the overview of these skills, they are to be learned. Um, there are concrete skills that need to be learned on how to tolerate and survive a crisis situation when the crisis can't be changed right away. And then we really just want to look at this basic idea, which is to learn how to get through bad situations without making them worse right? We want to get through a bad situation without making it worse. Surviving crisis situations is part of doing what works, which is a mindfulness skill if you've taken DBT before. If you don't know what I'm referring to when I refer specifically to DBT mindfulness skills, check out some other episodes I've done in the past. And we'll also be going over this more in the future. So, it's really important that we know that sometimes people are more interested in proving to others how bad a situation than like how bad a situation is for them than actually surviving the situation. So the problem with that is that proving how bad things are, it really hardly ever works, right? So trying to show people, validate me, validate me, this is so difficult, it really doesn't work. Because although in the short term you'll get maybe a gain, maybe you'll you'll uh, achieve hospitalization or you'll you know have somebody who was maybe the relationship they were trying to tell you that you guys were incompatible, and maybe now they're looking at <clears throat> um, maybe breaking up, but you get them back or something along those lines. It really fails in the long run because then you question: Are they going to leave me again? Are they lying to me? And if I'm in the hospital, how do I, what do I do when I get out? Because life is still painful. So try to come up with some examples of where, right? Because we want to bring this into our mindful awareness. Come up with some examples now, pause the podcast, where you've tried to convince others how bad or prove to others how bad a situation is versus surviving the situation. And how did that backfire for you in the long run? There are four categories of crisis survival strategies. We have category one, which is distracting. Self-soothing is two. Improving the moment is three. And focusing on the pros and cons is four. Each is a series of methods for short-circuiting or coping with overwhelming negative emotions and situations that we find fairly intolerable. These strategies are intended for getting through crisis situations and overwhelming emotions alone. They're not a cure for all of your problems. That's really key that you understand that. Now, once you master this skill, there's still other things that we need to do. So remember, recovery in the way that I speak of it, it's not for the faint of heart. It requires strength, tenacity, and really when you want to transform, you have to have that kind of strength. So that's important to know. So 
it's very important that you look at distress tolerance skills as not just basic emotional relation skills or emotion regulation skills, excuse me. They are instead ways to survive really deep, painful emotions. Are you tired of feeling frustrated, resentful, or disconnected from your family, friends, and partner? Thrive, Mind Body LLC Mindset Coaching and Counseling can help you. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. Again, that's thriveonlinecounseling.com. The first T in the tip skill is temperature. Tip the temperature of your face with cold water to calm down fast. Holding your breath, put your face in a bowl of cold water or hold a cold pack on your eyes and cheeks. Hold that for 30 seconds and keep the water above 50 degrees. Okay, so that's the T and that is the skill. But why? Why would that help you, right? That's a question that I really do hope that you're asking and I hope that you're asking it out loud. I know I was always scared to ask questions like that and I think I would have gotten a lot more out of DBT if I asked questions and if I really tried to dig deep into what the why was. So let's look at the biology here. So what you're trying to do here in the in the temperature, the T of the tip skill, is use a change in temperature to help regulate your physiology. When you expose your full face, or at least that top half of your face to cold water, what you're doing is allowing your brain to receive a message that you're diving underwater, which results in what we call our mammalian diving reflex, or our dive response. Now, this is something that occurs in all mammals when they're diving into cold water. With that dive response, your heart rate slows and blood flow is redirected from those non-essential organs to places like your brain and heart. What results is a slowing of your system. And these changes in your biology can help you regulate your emotions. So it's very important that you speak to your medical doctor if you have any sort, if you're on a beta blocker or if you have any sort of heart issue. Because what you're going to be doing is activating your parasympathetic nervous system response, right? So when you have all that pent-up energy and you're in distress and you need a distress tolerance skill, you are going to really be activated in that sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight, flight, or freeze. And that change in physiology, that dive response activation, actually is a, let's call it hacking your nervous system. Because what you can do is activate that parasympathetic nervous system response, which really slows everything down. You can even intensify the response if you bend over while you're submerging your face in that cold water, creating that same posture as if you're diving. And remember, you want to have your, your, uh, that ice pack or that, that Ziploc bag with cold water on your eyes and cheeks or your face submerged in cold water for about 30 seconds if you can do that and really try to bend over, activate that response. And you want to create that... Um, yeah, that posture as if you're diving, like I was saying. So after you try this temperature skill, it's really important to know that you need to follow it up with another skill, right? So it's not just going to work all on its own, because if you go back to the thing that was you were thinking about, the intrusive thoughts or whatever was distressing you, those positive effects won't last for long. So super important to know that you might need to repeat that temperature skill to continuously change your physiology until you finally have that space or that opening to not be reactive, and to be responsive. All right, so the I in TIP stands for intense exercise. 
Engage in intense exercise if only for a short while to calm down your body while it's revved up by emotion. Expend your body's stored up physical energy by running, walking fast, jumping, playing basketball, or lifting weights. Intense exercise, it helps release tension and energy. When we're in distress, our bodies are holding on to tension and energy. That's why I talk about this revving up, right? We get, when we engage in exercise, that allows the release of some of this pent-up energy, and it changes our body chemistry, which both help, again, a nervous system hack. It helps to regulate our nervous system. Intense exercise has been researched to show that it can reduce painful emotional states like sadness and anxiety and increase positive emotions. It also reduces our reactivity to stress. In fact, we know that when humans engage in physical activity, we're less reactive to stress. That's been studied. So remember, this is also something that if you have a pre-existing condition, you want to check in with your doctor. But I always would hear the word exercise and I would think like, that's not going to help me. But the reality is, is we're physical beings. We're not just all emotion. So we have to honor our physical bodies and move our bodies. So with intense, intense exercise, you want your goal is, um, to be engaging in physical activity that significantly increases your heart rate. So let's say that target is like 70% of your max heart rate for a sustained period of time, around 20 or 30 minutes. Now, again, that's the goal. It can be less. There are other things that you can do as well, but this is what we're aiming for. This will get you the maximum result, just like that 30 seconds bent over in that dive posture position with your face submerged in cold water is going to get you the best results there. But you can still create a feeling of calm or take the edge off of those emotions if you're going to stand up and kind of jump up and down or dance in your chair listening to loud music. Smooth your body is the key here, okay? For a rough heart rate formula, what you're going to do is take that number 220 and just subtract your age, and then you're going to use 70% of that number. So I'll say it again. To get a heart rate formula, take the number 220 and subtract your age, and then use 70% of that number to get your target heart rate. All right. So, yeah, again, remember just that medical clearance. You don't want to do anything that might compromise your health because this is a trans this is a, a strength-based movement. Recovery is a strength-based movement or a walk in the direction of transformation, right? We want to transform. We, we don't want to break our bodies down. We want to build ourselves up. The next P in the tip skill is paired muscle relaxation. I'm sorry. Actually, that's the last one. The, the one prior to that is actually paced breathing. Pace your breathing by slowing it down. You want to breathe deeply into your belly. Now, something I will say is that many people will breathe and they end up hyperventilating or making their anxiety worse. You know, I remember when my son was young, I would have, I would do kind of like yoga type stuff with him and we would try to breathe deeply and he would breathe from his chest and he would end up hyper, like breathing like this, <sighs> shoulders up and down, chest up and down. And so that's not going to help you, right? They're talking about diaphragmatic breathing, breathing from your belly. And so I would suggest, highly recommend that you don't wait until you need a distress tolerance skill to learn how to breathe from your diaphragm. That's something that you can look up and grab yourself a YouTube video of somebody that, you know, kind of you can connect with a little bit and start learning how to breathe deeply into your belly because that's a muscle that needs to be exercised. I know that I never could do it quite right or for a longer period of time, a long enough period of time, so I was insecure about, like, breathing. If you feel that way, you know, take the matters into your own hands and, and start learning that deep breathing. But this pee and pace breathing, 
requires you to breathe from your belly and to slow your pace of inhaling and exhaling way down. So we can think of it as like five to six breaths per minute. And you want to breathe out more slowly than you breathe in. For example, five seconds in, seven seconds out. That's paired breathing. Five seconds in, seven seconds out. And so inhaling increases our heart rate. So that activates the sympathetic nervous system. But exhaling decreases our heart rate, activating the parasympathetic nervous system. Again, another nervous system hack. Spending more time in that exhale helps calm us down. So let's try it. We're going to breathe in for a count of five and out for a count of seven. Wow, I mean, that feels good. <laughs> now I have to talk slower. No, I'm <laughs> um, just kidding. But that really, it really does feel good when you can do that. So try it. There are lots of breathing apps, timers that can help you with pace, pace your breathing or with pace breathing. So definitely check that out. All right. So I already kind of let the cat out of the bag, didn't I, with that second P. The second P is paired muscle relaxation. Paired muscle relaxation to calm down by pairing muscle relaxation with breathing out. While breathing into your belly deeply tense your body muscles, not so much to cause a cramp, but notice that tension in your body. And then while breathing out, say the word relax in your mind. Let go of the tension. Notice the difference in your body. So you're going to breathe deeply into your belly and then like imagine just squeezing every muscle of your body for a minute. Not so intensely that you're going to cramp, but you just want to squeeze and you want to notice that tension, almost make, making a fist. That's what I'm doing as if you can see me, but you can't. And then while breathing out, you want to say the word relax in your mind. And remember, biologically speaking, exhaling activates your parasympathetic response. So you want to hack your nervous system. Try it. Let go of that tension. Notice the difference in your body. Now, I didn't say notice the difference in your emotion, just in your body. We want to start with our physiology, and we really want to focus on what we can control. So that's super key, you know, that you're willing to do that. That word relax, if you're pairing that word relax with uh, muscle relaxation, that if done consistently, will allow your mind and body to begin to associate the word relax with an easing of tension, right? So it might even be possible in the future for that word association to say the word relax, and that might elicit a relaxation response. Because you imagine if every single time consistently you went to relax, said the word relax in your mind that you have like trained your body to relax just like the exhale and the paired muscle relaxation? Probably not, but it can be done. And we know this because it would just be a habit, just training the brain, right? So very important to, uh, to think about that. Now, for some people, trying to relax can make them even more upset. So if that's true for you, keep in mind that tensing and releasing your muscles, it might not re result in relaxation. That's why there's multiple skills for you to choose from. So you really just want to increase your awareness of your physicality, right? I don't want you to put yourself under traumatic stress, right, when you're trying to increase your arousal. So if it doesn't work for you, totally know that that's something that you can do with a provider, right? Okay, so 
for all of the tip skills, it might be useful to rate how distressed you are. So for example, on a scale of zero to 100, where zero is no distress and 100 is the most distressed you've ever felt ever. And kind of rate that before you use a skill and after using your skill, that will give you a sense of how effective it is. Because remember, we need to focus on the truth. And the truth is something that is objective, is observable, excuse me. So if you have no baseline and no data that you're gathering, you're just randomly using the skill, you're never going to know if it works. I did that. And then I said, well, it didn't work for me. Well, I never really even tried, right? Trying means gathering data, baseline data, and making sure you're using the skills that actually are effective to you and making sure you're admitting when they're effective is really key as well. One of the things that I like about the tip skill is that there's a lot of variety and they don't, you know, the way that they're written, it doesn't talk about the biology because that's the job of the person that you're working with, right? Like your therapist, your provider, your clinician, your coach. But I'm going to tell you as, you know, kind of a bonus here that all of these skills are not just, it's not just an acronym with no meaning behind it. It's an acronym with biological bases. So use these as, use the tip skill as your nervous system hack and or your, your uh, neuro hack for the week and really try to see whether or not they're effective for you and be willing to collect that data. All right, everybody. Well, that concludes another segment of the Mindful Monday Minute for the From Borderline to Beautiful podcast. I have so many exciting things coming up. Jay and I have rebranded Thrive Mind Body. Finally, we're working on that logo creation. So that's going to pop off in the new year. It's a very serene, beautiful logo that we're excited about for Thrive Mind Body. And in addition to that, we have a group. I'm running a group on December 1st that starts this Friday. That was a Black Friday special. Um, and it was that kind of ended over the weekend. But if you want to enroll in that group, you can enroll all the way up until Friday morning, Eastern Standard Time. So we welcome you with open arms. Um, and we are going to talk more about these skills. We're going to talk about communication. We're going to celebrate the highs and lows of the holidays together through the new year. Super excited about that. So I would love to have you go ahead on to our website, skeeterstrength.com to come check it out. And I will see you next Monday for another segment. Bye. Okay, it's been a long time since I've done a Q&A, but I wanted to do a Q&A because someone asked a great question on the Facebook group that I wanted to answer. So I'm going to read the post and then I'll answer best as I can. I wanted to inquire to see if there was a podcast about early sobriety and people with BPD. I know a lot of people struggle with substance and alcohol abuse, and I'm currently a sponsor to a sponsee with BPD. We have started listening to your podcast together so I can learn more about her emotions and what she's going through to get a better understanding of what's going to work best for her in going through her 12 steps of AA. And she has been listening and really trying to incorporate all of your wisdom into her own life. I know a lot of the time she feels bad about reaching out to me so much and putting stuff on me that she's emotionally going through. But I tell her that this is part of the process because without being sober, she couldn't have had a clear mind and couldn't work on all other aspects of her life, including her journey to recovery of BPD. She also worries about becoming dependent on me to make her feel better in times where she is struggling. And I don't want to do anything that would be harmful to her or hinder her BPD journey. I would just love to hear stories of maybe other people who have done a 12-step program to recovery and also worked on recovery with their BPD at the same time and see what it looks like. Because taking away the substance is like taking away their FP in a way. 
since that is what they relied on so heavily to get them through all those emotions. Thanks so much. Okay, so I can't give the story about what it was like as on a personal level. So if you're out there and you want to help this person, go ahead and pop on over to the Facebook group, join up and and let them know. I'm that would be really beneficial. But I will say, and the reason why I wanted to make this a Q&A is cuz this is something that I've come across a lot actually. Like is the question of how heavily do I rely on a sponsor because there is a difference between sobriety work and BPD recovery work. But here's something to really keep in mind. If you're a sponsor to somebody going through 12 steps in in AA, the first thing I'll say is that person relies on you and they trust, trust you. And you could be a corrective relationship for that person. So, you know, being, if you're willing to be listening to the podcast and helping out your friend, I mean, that's just such a beautiful thing. And, you know, it could be anything you're helping them out with. Right. And I I don't mean to trivialize the work this individual has done, but I just want to put in perspective that if she came to you and said, hey, can you help me learn how to knit a sweater for my son or something? I mean, you'd be like, yeah, sure. Right. If you had that skill or no, if you didn't, you'd take the time to do that, too. So she's coming to you saying, I struggle with this issue. Will you help me? As long as you don't feel like you're building resentment towards this individual because they're reaching out so much that you feel like you're their soul person like you are their FP as you referenced I think it's a beautiful thing and a very kind thing for you to want to help this person because this person is misunderstood and hurting and you know if they are relying on you too much again that that really is up to you to be secure within yourself to be able to set those boundaries it's something that I really urge you to think about right it's not really whether they're reaching out too much it's whether or not you are able to set that boundary because if we don't and we engage in sort of people-pleasing behavior or we start feeling bad right having pity on people then that resentment can build when we have a need and it's not being met something to think about um in terms of the work and the progress if somebody has an issue with substance abuse you really want them to be clean for 30 days right sober for 30 days so that they can work on that, you know, you want to work on that before you look at BPD. And that goes from eating disorders, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, all, right? You want to make sure that that is taken off the table. Because the work of BPD, the to, to, you know, I guess, work on dysregulation of interpersonal relationships, dysregulation of emotions, dysregulation of identity, all of these different dysregulations that occur within the diagnosis, you really need to be clear-minded, Um, really to be of sober mind, right? So that's super important. But at that point, you're right, the, the, the alcohol in this case could absolutely have been this person's FP, not necessarily FP, right? But their identity, you know, because if they were happy and they drank and they were sad and they drank and they were hungry and they drank, well, that's something that really would mask emotions. And remember, on the podcast, I say that BPD is a disorder of avoidance, meaning people with BPD, they avoid emotions. And there's just nothing ever good comes of that, as I said, kind of on the beginning of this podcast. And so it really just becomes their identity. Like anytime they have emotion, that's their go-to and it really shapes their focus and subsequently the way that they behave in the world. So you're right that they're trying to build a new identity and building a new identity in in BPD, it really can parallel nicely with the 12-step program, right? Like step one, giving up you know, the addiction to the higher power, like having a spiritual connection is so important in recovery. And I wouldn't have known that, you know, even like six years ago, right? Because for me, this is that's a very new part of my journey in life is being being a being somebody who has spirituality, being a Christian. And so that's something that 
is new to me. And so if, if there's a 12-step program that starts with that spiritual piece, then that really can help fuel the morality bit down the road as the individual begins working in that 12-step program. So don't think the things that, that the two are mutually exclusive and you know, know that that person really trusts you to be able to call you and to be able to share the podcast with you because the podcast can really get into the vulnerable parts of what goes on in the borderline brain. I really try to do that and to show people that the inside, it's, it's it, you know, you battle. It's a battle. It's a real struggle. And so that's something to consider and know that, you know, you're really instrumental there. So if it's weighing on you and it's too much for you, consider that boundary. But if you're happy to do it and you really feel good doing it, check in with yourself, make sure you're doing that self-care. And, and yeah, I think it'll work out really well. So if you need anything at all, you can give me a call 844-984-7483, or you can send us an email at rose at skeetersstrength.com. You can reach Jay at that same number or Jay at J-A-Y at skeetersstrength.com. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you. Until next time.